Well, tonight we are going to talk about how we prepare for Easter. So how do you prepare for Easter? As we approach Easter, it's always a good thing to think about, you know, how we do that. I know in our house with the three girls that we have, I know Christy always would prepare the Easter by making sure that the girls had their pretty dresses and that their hair was done up all nice and and now that they're getting older, you know, I have to make sure that their makeup looks good and it doesn't look like I did it for them, you know. And I remember when Daniel was younger, you know, you make sure that he had nice unwrinkled clothes to wear and me trying to fit in the last year's Easter clothes, that was always something too, so. But there's something way more important that we should be doing and that is to meditate on God's great love for us and the fact that he sent his son Jesus to earth to live a perfect, sinless life and to die on the cross for our sins and to rise from the dead three days later, which not only proved that Jesus was God in the flesh, but also that his promise holds true to us even now when he said, because I live, you also will live. And so tonight we're going to take a look at the sinless life of Jesus Christ and how it changes our story. We all have stories in life. We all come from somewhere. We've all had pasts. We've all got our future. And, and so tonight I want to talk about how sinless Jesus Christ can change our story. So tonight we're going to look at First uh, John 3, verses 4 through 6. And it says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And that's the word of the Lord. And the first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is how many times in these couple of verses here that John mentions the word sin. Six times he says the word sin or sinning. So this is an important theme for John here. You know, because if we read the Bible, we see that sin is serious. Sin is a very serious thing. You know, verse 4 says that everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. Sin is when we miss the mark and it's missing the mark of God's holy standard and it's rebellion against God. And I don't know, but no matter how hard we try, we always manage to miss the mark. And every time I hear about that, I always think of, you know, when I used to hunt and I used to go into my mom and dad's backyard and I used to practice my bow and arrow and I would always try and hit the target there. And sometimes I would miss the mark off and on. But we always miss the mark. And like Adam, if you remember in Genesis, what do we do when we miss the mark or we sin against God? Sometimes we try and hide from God. Sometimes we try and hide our sins from him just like Adam did. But Jesus did not come for us to take sin lightly. You know, we have to make sure that we know that sin is serious and our sin is serious. 
And I watch a lot of different videos online on YouTube, and there's one ministry that, that interacts with a lot of people, and some people are unbelievers, and some people are Christians. And one of the things that I always see, and it makes me really sad when I watch it, is I watch these people that are talking to this guy, and when he brings up sin, and he tells them how serious sin is, it seems like a lot of them mock him, and they laugh about it, and they think that it's something that's funny, and it's not a funny thing. You know, we should not practice sinning. We should make a practice of repenting and not sinning. And so in verse John 4, in, first, in verse 4 of 1 John, started getting a little ahead of myself, but at this time, John was mainly writing about unbelievers. But we as Christians also sometimes practice sin, and we shouldn't. But it's mostly the unbelievers who practice sin. You know, we all have a natural inclination to sin, and John's not saying that we as believers in Christ will be sinless in this lifetime. I always like to say that we'll never be sinless, but we will always sin less when we take sin seriously. And so we should despise that sin and not make it a habitual lifestyle of sin because sin is not the identifying characteristic of who we are and who we are in Christ. We'll still, we will still sin, but we'll hate that sin. And it, it won't be a dominant pattern for our life. You know, when we're in Christ, Paul says that we're not controlled by the sinful nature, but we're controlled by the Spirit. And then as John says in verse 2 of chapter 3, that we will be like him, and so we should strive to always be like him. And so we as passionate followers of Christ, we must be led by the Holy Spirit, and we can live a transformed life. I once heard someone say, serious Christians take sin seriously. Serious Christians take sin seriously. And this is true. When we take our faith in Christ seriously, as I said, we will hate sin because God hates sin. And so even though I'm a child of God and I may miss the mark sometimes, but sin does not have control over me and it's not the general practice in my life. You know, it all started in the beginning when we read in Genesis 3, when we read about Adam and Eve's rebellion against God and his commands. And ever since then, I think of that phrase, Houston, we have a problem because we have a problem. Ever since that time, sin has been passed down through all generations of mankind. And we have inherited that sin from Adam. In Romans 5.12, it tells us that through Adam, sin entered into the world. And so death was passed on to all men. And as Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. But we should not despair because that's not the end of our story. That's not the end of the story because in verse 5 of 1 John 3, we see good news. Even though sin entered into the world and it brought with it suffering and sorrow and pain, there is a remedy. And that remedy is the power of the cross and the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is the only way the practice of sin can be completely shattered. Amen? John says that Jesus took away our sins by becoming sin for us. So Jesus takes away our sins, and that's good news. 
You know, this is the mission of why Jesus came into this world, to become sin for us and to take our sin upon himself. If we go back to Matthew 121, we remember that the angel appeared to Joseph and told him that Mary will have a son and that they were to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. John proclaimed in his gospel, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus came to take away our sin, and that's why he came. You know, sin is all-inclusive. It's an all-inclusive word that includes every single sin, whether it's in thought, in words, or actions that's ever committed. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to have to sit there and tally up every single time that I've missed the mark. And thankfully, with the blood of Jesus, we don't have to do that. You know, we cannot take away the penalty of our sin. Only Jesus can. We cannot take the power of sin away in our life. Only Jesus can. We cannot take the presence of sin in our life. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can take away, only Jesus can carry our sin away because we serve a sinless Savior and in Him there is no sin. And because Jesus had no sin of Himself to take away, He can take away our sins at the cross. And that's why we celebrate Easter. When I think about carrying or taking away or carrying away our sin, if you think about it, our sin is way too heavy for us to carry away for ourselves. It burdens us sometimes. And so that's why we need a Savior to take away our sins. And that's the gospel message. You know, we have a lot of burdens in our life, and Jesus takes those burdens off of our shoulders, and he gives us rest. He gives us forgiveness, and he gives us peace. And I'm so thankful for that tonight. So Adam was the first human... And he was created by God, and he was created perfect, sinless, from the dust of the ground. And so God had plans for Adam. And it was God's purpose was to create a world in which his glory could be manifest in all its fullness. Because if you remember in Genesis, when God created man, he said what? He said, it's very good. This is very good. And we also see that Solomon said that God made man upright. But as we continue to read in Genesis, Adam's sinless state did not last very long. As Adam, the first and only man to come to life without a human father, he disobeyed God. And so that's when sin entered into our world. And that became our story. You know, in his disobedience, of Adam, you know, the cycle of sin and decay began for all of mankind. But God. I love those words when I read them in the Bible, don't you? I think it's found about 48 times in the Word of God. Because after we see but God, it's usually something glorious that happens afterwards, right? And so, but God did not give up on humanity. After Adam's sin, 
And for the first time since Adam, we have a man who came to earth who, like Adam, was born perfect and sinless. But unlike Adam, he stayed that way. And that man was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. He remained sinless and perfect. And so both Adam and Jesus entered into this world sinless and perfect. But where Adam failed, Jesus was triumphant. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul wrote, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus bore the judgment of God against sin, which is death, as we already talked about. And he took our place of what was due for us because of our sin, and he lifted that sin. This is why he came. And now because of that, we can have the righteousness of standing before God. This is one of my favorite uh, verses of Scripture, passages of Scripture with 2 Corinthians And Charles Spurgeon called it the heart of the gospel. Because in these 25 words, we see the gospel message clearly. And it's everything that we need to know to get to heaven. It's because Christ took the just punishment that our sin deserves, and he paid our sin debt on the cross. It was a two-way transfer that happened on the cross. Our sins were transferred to him, And his righteousness was transferred to us. And he took away our sins and we take his righteousness before God. I love that. We're declared righteous or justified in God's eyes. I love how some people put it when they say that we are justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned. You know, we're justified. God not only forgives us, but he sees us as if we had never sinned. He removes our sin as far as the east is to the west. And in its position, he places the perfect righteousness of Christ. And so we can stand before God in Christ's righteousness, just as Jesus can. And as Paul says, it's only through Christ we are not righteous in ourselves, but Christ's righteousness Is applied to us. And it also says that Jesus never knew sin. And so I don't want you to be mistaken about that. Jesus was not made a sinner or he wasn't made to sin. Paul's saying that Jesus never knew sin. Jesus knew of sin. We know that because reading the Gospels, he talked about it a lot. But he was sinless and he never experienced sin. But on the cross, He took all of our sins upon himself. And if you remember, he cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But Jesus was forsaken for you and I. And you and I deserve that so that we may be forgiven. It was at that time that all of our sins were set upon him. And he who was without sin but he became the final and the complete sacrifice for our sins. 
the perfect, sinless Lamb of God who takes away our sins. My friends, you may feel forsaken or abandoned by God sometimes, but I can stand here and tell you with 100% assurance that God loves you. And he has never and he never will abandon you. I was thinking about this. And if we went out to eat one time with each other, and I saw that you had a dirty old napkin that you had, and I said to you, I want to take your dirty used napkin and I want to give you a shiny new coin. Would you take that coin from me? Of course you would. After thinking to yourself how crazy I am, you would. And I would expect you to. You know, you would definitely see the better deal that I'm offering you. And just as you would think that I was crazy for offering this shiny new coin for your dirty napkin, I would think that you were crazy for not taking that deal. And so that's what Christ did for us. He took our dirty old napkin, our sin, which is completely worthless, and he exchanged it for a nice, shiny, clean coin, which is Christ's righteousness, which is more valuable than anything in this world or anything that the world has to offer you. It's through the cross that our dirty, old, worthless sins are exchanged for Christ's righteousness. Our redemption will be complete and our sins will be gone forever. And we will live and we will reign with Christ forever. So after hearing all of this, how should we respond to Christ and live our life in him? Well, John tells us, we continue to abide in him. Always abiding in him. John says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. That's no one who abides in him keeps practicing sinning. You know, it's not saying that you're not going to sin, but you won't practice sin. You won't love your sin. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. And so to abide in Christ means that we are to remain in him or to live in him. This is how we as believers all should live our lives, abiding in him daily. Because when we truly know Christ, we will abide in him and when we abide in him, we hate our sin. And so there's a difference in knowing about Christ and truly knowing him. You know, there's many people in our lives that we know about or that we've heard about, but they're, it's very different than those that we actually truly know. You know, those in our families or our close friends, you know, we have this deep, close relationship with them. But those that we just know about, you know, we don't really have that kind of relationship with them. We don't really have a desire to know everything about them like we do those that we have close relationships with. And that's how our relationship should be with God when we abide in him. We should want to know everything about him by reading his word, by talking to him in prayer by gathering with other believers and fellowshipping with each other. You know, it's the same with our relationship with Christ. You know, we have to have that desire to have a close relationship with him 
and know every single thing that we can about him. I love what J.C. Ryle wrote. He wrote, To abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant close communion with him, to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him, and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and our best friend. And so abiding in Christ means that we are allowing his word to fill our minds and to direct our wills and to transform our affections. I always think about when my kids were younger and they would, you know, lean on me or, or want to hold close. Some of them still do, but, you know, they're teenagers now, so not as much. But we do take those times that they want to, you know, still spend time with you and, and, and abide with you or lean on you. And so that's always a good thing. And so as we approach Easter in the next couple weeks, you know, I want to take this time to invite you to abide in Christ if you've never have done that. Or even if your life has maybe gotten a little bit too busy and you need to renew that deep relationship with Christ, I invite you, this is the best time to do that. You know, spring is coming. You know, spring is here. It's getting nicer out. It's a time of renewal. It's a time that we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And you can have a transformed life right now, right where you are. Salvation is a free gift given to you through his son, Jesus Christ. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, I want to pray for you and with you. And I want to pray that God does a mighty work in your life. And you can pray right now. You can just say, Father, I come to you and I confess my sins to you. And I ask you for your forgiveness. I thank you, Lord, that you have promised that if I confess my sins, you will be faithful to forgive me and cleanse me of all of my unrighteousness. I want to turn from my sins and live a way that pleases you. And so I ask for your help, Lord. I ask that you give me the power through your Holy Spirit to live the right way. I thank you that Jesus died on the cross, paying the price for my sins, and then rose from the dead. I accept him now as my Savior and my Lord and my friend. You know, Jesus can give us a new life, and we can surrender everything that we have to him. And we can be all that God wants us to be in Jesus' name. And so I wrote down a couple things in your growth work that we can talk about. And the first thing that I want to tell you is to just come and see. Come and see what the Lord has done. You know, these three words can change your life. They can change your story. If we look at a story in John 1, Philip went to look for Nathaniel and told him, we have found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathanael said, Nazareth? Can anything come from, good come from Nazareth? And what did Philip say? Philip said, come and see for yourself. Come and see for yourself. When Philip met Jesus, Jesus told him to follow me. 
And with no expectations, Philip followed him. And then he couldn't wait to tell Nathaniel. And he told him, come and see what I found. Come and see. And it changed both of their lives. It's not our job to do the convincing. It's our job to tell others about what Jesus has done in our lives. And it's our job to invite others to come and see and let the power of the gospel message speak for itself. And so number two, I say, let God rewrite your story. Let God rewrite your story. Jesus can change your story and he can turn it into his story. You know, you can have a new beginning when you turn your story over to him and make him your Lord and Savior. You will have Jesus' perfect story that we saw in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Because sometimes the world tells us that we're not good enough. But God says, you are worthy of it all, and I love you. Those two words can change your life. The world says that you can't, but God says that you can. Sometimes the world tells us we don't want you, but God says, come to me. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear. And the burden I give you is light. God will treat you as if you had lived Jesus' perfect sinless life in complete obedience to God. God the Father treated Jesus as if he committed every sin that has been committed, even though he was completely sinless. He treated like Jesus like you and I deserve to be treated so that he can treat you the way that Jesus deserves to be treated. We can be a new creation in Christ because Jesus is our sinless Savior. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Being a new creation in Christ is a gift from God through faith. It's not just turning over a new leaf or making a resolution that I'm going to do better this time. It is placing your trust completely in Jesus. And it's only something that God can do. And it's something that God does in us. You know, he doesn't just take and clean up our old nature. He works in us and creates something completely new and fresh. And the third thing is, is to go out. Very simply, just go out. Get out of your comfort zone. In this day and age, we need to be telling every single person that we meet about Jesus. Share with others what God has done in your life. One of the best ways to share your faith with others is to continue to live a godly life and to pray with and for others. In Mark 16, 15, we see, And he said to them, Go into 
all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. When we tell others about Jesus and what he's done in our lives, we are obeying two of his greatest commandments. We're showing God that we love him by obeying his son. And we're fulfilling the great commission. And we're loving others by telling them the most important thing that they could ever hear, the gospel. So give others this Easter the gospel message that Jesus died for their sins. He physically rose from the dead and he loves us and he's given us new life. So as we prepare our hearts and our minds to Passion Week and Easter, I want to quickly show you that Jesus died as though he was a criminal. And the Jewish leaders accused him of so many sins. But we have seen that he was actually innocent. And we see this truth is especially impressive when we consider some of the statements that we'll hear this Easter season from those people who were primarily responsible for Jesus' death. In Matthew 27, 4, Judas betrayed Jesus, but later he said that he had betrayed innocent blood. In the Gospel of John, Pilate was the Roman governor responsible for the trial of Jesus. And three times Pilate said that he found no fault in Jesus. Even in Matthew 27, Pilate's wife sent him a message saying that Jesus was righteous. And even in Matthew 27, Pilate washed his hands saying that Jesus was innocent. In Luke 23, Pilate sent Jesus to King Herod for a hearing. And later, Pilate said, Herod found nothing in Jesus worthy of death. In Luke 23, 41, one of the thieves that was crucified, while Jesus acknowledged his own guilt, with Jesus, he acknowledged his own guilt and said that Jesus had done nothing wrong. And in Luke 23, the centurion in charge of the crucifixion declared that Jesus was a righteous man. And so we see that Jesus is our sinless Savior. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time of studying your word. And I pray that we take the time this Easter season as we prepare our hearts to celebrate the glorious resurrection of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we're able to clear away some of the distractions in our lives that might keep us away from your word and and some of the distractions that might keep us from talking to you, Lord. And I pray that we don't lose sight and don't lose our awe for you and for your amazing sacrifice of the cross and the incredible miracle of the empty tomb. And I pray that we continue to understand what Christ's death and resurrection means to us, that it means forgiveness and freedom and a renewed relationship with you. I pray for all of those right now, Lord, that are seeking you, Lord. I pray that they come to you and that they know that you are near to them and that they don't have to reach out to you and they don't have to seek you any longer, but that you are reaching out to them 
and that you love them, Lord. I pray that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom to continually seek your kingdom and your righteousness and that we continue to have that deep hunger for you. I ask you to fill us with your spirit, Lord, that we would seek you more and that we would love you more and that our minds would be filled with you. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for joining us online and thank you for joining us here on campus. And remember also that you can download our Woodland Church app, which is Woodland Church Mobile. And you can also request prayer on there. So if you would like more information about Woodland Church, you can email us at info at Woodland Church. Don't forget, our Good Friday service is coming April 7th at 6.30. Our Easter extravaganza is Saturday, April 8th from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. And our Easter Sunday service is on April 9th at 10 o'clock and 11.30 a.m. Thank you and have a great evening, everybody.